Psalm 32. Our subject this day is Christ receiveth sinful men. We do not want to distract ourselves with the phases of salvation. We want to focus on the practical phase because that's the emphasis of Luke 15. And we want to focus on that here, though we have several phases in Psalm 32. Psalm 32 is a promise, a prophecy, a declaration of the forgiveness of God for sinners in a legal sense first, then in a vital sense, and then in a practical way. All in a few verses. Let's rise together and read these precious words in unison. Together. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. For this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord... Mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, ye righteous. And shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Amen and amen. You may be seated. With any understanding, with even a smidgen of understanding, Of the songs we've sung already this morning and this psalm, you should be glad. Be glad in the Lord. There is no real gladness anywhere else. Whatever you think makes you glad is so temporary that if you're honest with us and if you're honest with yourself, because it is a matter of deception, it doesn't provide gladness. Be glad in the Lord. And rejoice. Ye righteous. And how were they made righteous from that first verse? Because God forgave their sin and covered it. Because in the second verse, God did not impute iniquity to them, but instead imputed the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
That's what made them righteous. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. How do you get upright in heart? God gives us a new heart, which makes it upright. God is the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the beginning and the end of our salvation. If you are upright in heart or you have a spirit in which there is no guile, it is by the grace of God because you are an Israelite indeed, as was Nathaniel, who also had no guile in his heart. When we come back to the first verse, we see the legal aspect of our salvation, that God forgave transgression, He covered sin, He did not impute sin or charge it or account it to us, He instead charged and accounted His Son's righteousness to us. Then we read the words, in whose spirit there is no guile, which is the vital aspect of our salvation, because what takes away the guile that is in every one of our hearts? The natural condition of man is they have the poison of what under their lips? Asps. They're full of guile. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Their feet are swift not to preach the gospel of peace, but to shed blood. What makes the difference? The vital work of salvation in our hearts where God the Holy Spirit comes and washes us with regeneration and renews us by His power and gives us a new heart where there is no guile. And I love you guileless ones in this congregation that are pure and innocent and do not think evil of any and forgive quickly and easily and fully. It's a blessing from God. Rejoice in it. However, we come to the third verse, and here's a man whose sins have been legally put away. Here's a man that has a new heart. But it says his bones were waxing old. Though in the sight of God, he's perfect. Though in the sight of God, he is a son of God. Though in the sight of God, he is clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. His bones are waxing old. Let's read why. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. So serious is this plaintive cry of the psalmist that he says, Selah, stop and think about what I have just told you. My bones waxed old. I am roaring all the day long. I am unhappy. I'm... When does a lion roar? When he's happy? Is that his purr? A lion roars when he's hungry, when he's angry, when he's frustrated, when he's looking for food. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day. Unhappy, discontent, angry, frustrated. So the psalmist describes himself, and so the psalmist, by the inspiration of God, describes you and me at times in our lives where we are keeping silence, we are no longer praising God, and neither are we confessing our sins. We're keeping silence. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. The God that adopted us by predestination, that saved us by the death of Jesus Christ, that regenerated us by the power of the Spirit, brings His hand upon us, and we find ourselves in want. And then a famine arises in the land. And we have to go feed pigs. 
by hiring ourselves out as a servant to a citizen of that country. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Moisture is a sign of prosperity. Moisture makes a garden prosper, and moisture in your body makes it prosper. When you do not have moisture, which is dehydration, your body is a wreck. And this is a description of spiritual dehydration. The Spirit of God is quenched and grieved. And you roar. You wax old. You're frustrated and hurt by life. And God's hand is upon you. Oh, but it's a loving hand. It's a loving hand. It's a hand that if you will turn and say, Father, I have sinned in the sight of heaven, that hand will embrace you. Selah. Think about the fact that though God saves legally and vitally, there is a practical phase of salvation we can lose when we stay silent and we do not confess our sins. When we confess and forsake them, prosperity is the result. When we hide them, He will chase us and pursue us until we do confess them. You will never win keeping silent with the Almighty. So what does the psalmist do? upon reflection of his situation and condition. Look at that fifth verse, and it's surrounded by selahs. It's sandwiched. Stop and think about this verse, because this is the verse that drives our practical relationship with God. Right Right here. I acknowledged my sin unto thee. Now we know what he was silent about, don't we? He hadn't been willing to acknowledge his sin. I'm going to continue on in my pride. I will continue until I spend every cent of this money. And even when it's spent, I'm still not going to go home. I'll survive. I'll go hire myself out to a citizen of this country. I'll make it. I can do without the Lord and His people. Amen. Your bones wax old. Amen. You roar all day long. Your moisture is dried up. You're dehydrated spiritually until you do what verse 5 tells us to do. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. How many times do we hide iniquity? We come into the house of God, and we're hiding sins. That's hypocrisy. Pretending to be something that we are not. But we can hide nothing with the Lord, and so His hand is heavy upon us. We may hide it from others, but His hand is heavy upon us. We may look cheerful and joyful in the four hours of two assemblies on Sunday, but the other 164 hours were dehydrated and drying up and roaring. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. O brethren, God has opened to us the Word of God to see it most plainly. There is forgiveness in verse 1. There is forgiveness in verse 5. They are not the same forgiveness. The forgiveness in verse 1 took place 2,000 years ago when the Lord Jesus Christ laid down His life for you. The forgiveness in verse 5 takes place every day of our lives when we confess our sins and come to Him. There is a legal forgiveness of sins and there is a practical. See it, believe it, understand it. And remember that verse 5 is what we want to lay hold of each day of our lives. I acknowledged my sin unto thee. That is, I admitted it, I told about it, 
I confessed it. I opened up and told you there was nothing hid anymore. I did not pretend you didn't see. I told you all. I said I will confess my transgression unto the Lord. I am wrong. You are right, O Lord. I am nothing. You are the God of heaven. And thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Though cleansed from all unrighteousness at the cross legally, in the sight of God in heaven, legally, there are no sins to our account. But in our practical relationship, in the reality of our lives, when we sin, we must confess them. And if we confess them, He forgives us. He lets us start over. Once a week, oh, I know a more gracious God than that. Once a day, oh, I know a more compassionate Savior than that. As many times as you need it every day, He will forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Selah. Bask in the light and the warmth of that thought. Consider what that verse tells us. And then it says in verse 6, For this, for what? For the free forgiveness of sin. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Because of God's great forgiveness, because of His compassion, it ought to encourage every one of us to run to the Lord whenever we need Him. Because He will always hear us. He will always receive us. He will always bless us. I will inst- Thou art my hiding place, verse 7. I just want to move on quickly because it says in verses 8 and 9, we need instruction so that we're not like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, and we must be kept in by brute force. There's a sinner. There's a rebel. The only language they know is a two-by-four across the brow of their nose. The only thing that will get them moving are spurs in their belly. They're brute beasts. We don't want to be like that. We want to heed the instruction of what we were just given. There is wisdom and understanding in these words that were given in the first six verses. If you don't pay attention to them, you are no better than an ass, a mule, and a wild ass, as the Bible would describe you. Oh, let us learn from the words, rather than have the Lord have to treat us like a brute beast. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked. You don't want to say anything to the Lord? You want to go ahead and live in your sins and think you can get away with them? Many sorrows, not little one, not one, not a few, but many, shall be to the wicked. But he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Mercy is going to surround you in your life and God's going to be merciful to you. What should we do with all of that? Be glad in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous. And shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Because if you're upright in heart, and you love these things, it tells you that verse 1 is true about you. Verse 2 is true about you. And verse 5 will be true whenever you need it. Praise His great and glorious name. Let's sing His praise again and rejoice in God our Savior.